We are in Philippians 4 this morning. Philippians 4 in your New Testament. We have been looking at the epistle of Philippians and we are there again this morning in the final section of Philippians, Philippians 4. I didn't check the page number. It must be about page 1830 or so, if 1829. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you and you prefer to know the page number, it's page 1829. Um, so if you would turn there, please, to Philippians 4. We'll open the Word of God together. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Lord, open our hearts and our minds. We are thankful for the word of God. How good you are, Lord, to inspire these writers to bring us your word. It is indeed food for our hearts and our minds and our souls. We are so thankful and pray that you would be our instructor this morning as we listen to the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a strong man who put on these exhibitions, these feats of enormous strength. I mean, he would take a baseball bat and break it over his knee. Or he would take these bars and bend the bars. And he would always conclude his act by taking an orange and he had huge hands and just crushing that orange, squeezing all of the juice out of the orange until there was nothing left but basically the rind. And then he would ask if there was anyone in the audience who would, he would challenge anyone to be able to squeeze one more drop out of that orange. Well, one one day, someone took him up on it. It was a little guy, about 140 pounds, came forward, and he took that orange and put it between both of his hands, and he squeezed and he squeezed for about a minute. And after about a minute, a droplet formed in the bottom of that orange and then fell to the floor. The crowd erupted in applause. Now, the strong man, who was basically twice his size, was astonished, and he said, he said, how did you do that? He said, well, I'm the treasurer of the Baptist church down the road, <laughs> and I'm quite accustomed to it. Well, this morning, as Paul concludes his letter to the Philippians, he is he is dealing with matters of giving and receiving because this letter is a thank you letter. He has received gifts from the Philippians off in Rome and he writes this letter in thanks to them and he sends it off to them with Epaphroditus. I remind you that the Lord Jesus announced the arrival of the kingdom of God in his person and in his ministry. 
And indeed, after his resurrection, he was exalted and enthroned at the right hand of God as king, as Lord over all. And he had commissioned Paul as an emissary of the kingdom, as a proclaimer of the gospel, the good news, that forgiveness of sin and a right standing with God was offered through faith and trust in this wonderful person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. And Paul is engaged in that ministry, and now he's imprisoned in Rome. And the Philippians had sent off gifts to him. Well, one of the things that we see as we read this concluding section of the letter is the heartbeat of a kingdom servant, a kingdom worker. And I want us to listen to that heartbeat as we look at this last section. I'm going to begin reading at Philippians 4, verse 10, and ask you to follow in your Bibles. Philippians 4, 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, and we stop and we, we marvel that he's doing it again. He's rejoicing Again and again, Paul has talked about joy in the letter. I mean, he's in, he's in prison. And they, the recipients of the letter, are also suffering persecution, but Paul is full of joy. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have re- renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were, have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. This is the meet and greet section of the letter. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul is grateful for the Philippians' gift and for their concern. But he emphasizes that as Christ's servant, he has learned to be content. This first paragraph is about learning contentment. 
in God's provision. As a matter of fact, be content with what you have was the precept of the early church. Be content with what you have is quoting from Hebrews 13, the precept of the early church. Paul was content and he was not dependent on the support of the Philippians or the other churches. Now we should know a little bit about the historical background of this. In a city like Philippi, which was a a large city in the ancient world, an important city, a Roman colony, there would have been these philosophers uh, on every street corner, you know, teaching and, and eliciting support from their, their uh, followers and their adherents. And so Paul didn't want to be associated with one of them. And so he, he refused, or he never asked for, uh, support from his churches. Now, he did teach that those who preach the gospel should earn their living from the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. But in that very passage in 1 Corinthians, he also said, I've set aside this right for the sake of the gospel. He said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. At any rate, the Philippians supported them anyway. As a matter of fact, they sent him this gift off in Rome, and that took a great deal of effort to send a gift from Philippi, which is in Macedonia, all the way to Rome. Uh, That was a big deal and they had done it and they had done it previously as we'll see as we go through the passage but I want us to think about this word content matter of fact Paul uses it twice you notice that he says in verse 11 I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances he says it again in verse 12 I've learned the secret of being content I wonder how many commercials you'll listen to on television that will say, your car is fine. Be content with the car that you have. That is certainly not the message we hear in our culture, is it? And um, this word content or contentment is almost a forgotten concept We're very spoiled. Matter of fact, uh, I'm spoiled. I I don't want my coffee with milk. I want it with half and half. This last week I went down on Thursday to, to steal a cup of coffee from Living Well. The women have coffee. And I, I got a cup of coffee, but I came down late. They had already put the pots in the kitchen and the, and the half and half was put away. So I had a cup of black coffee on Thursday. And I, I did survive. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm spoiled. I want my half and half in my coffee. I want my butter pecan ice cream. <laughs> I think that I have a lot to learn from my father. My father uh, grew up, he was a teenager in the Great Depression. He had to quit school. He went to work for the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps. It was a work program created by the federal government. My father um, made $30 a month, and he sent $25 
home uh, to the family. Family had very, very little. It was a difficult time. The, the depression generation, which antedates me, I'm old, but I'm not that old. That generation has a lot to teach us. One of the phrases they used was, make do. You make do. If it's broken, you'll figure out how to fix it. If it's not as good as you want it to be, well, you make do. We are spoiled. Uh, we need to recognize it. We certainly are spoiled. And uh, I just find it interesting that Paul has learned contentment, whatever his circumstances, and he emphasizes it. Matter of fact, in verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be well-fed, and I know what it is to be hungry. I know how to enjoy plenty, and I know how to endure want. One commentator, when he was commenting on that word plenty, he said we should recognize that what Paul means by plenty is nothing compared to what we in the middle class in the Western world think of when we think of plenty. The commentator said that by our standards it would be meager and simple compared to what we mean by plenty. And Paul had learned to be content with whatever the Lord provided, because, not because he was self-sufficient, but because he was God-sufficient. That is, it was the Lord who enabled him to be content. Verse 13 needs to be read properly. Um, verse 13 should not be read emphasizing the word everything. Wrong emphasis. The word should be read, the, the, verse 13 should be read emphasizing the word him. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's his point. It is the Lord who enables me to endure whatever I must face as I am engaged in kingdom ministry representing him. This word, verse 13, is a good example of what we do to misuse the scripture. Verse 13 is often cited, and the word everything is emphasized. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And so Christians think they can climb Mount Everest on the basis of Philippians 4.13, or they can run a four-minute mile, or they can bench press 250 pounds, I can't do any of those things. But I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That is what Paul is saying. He is saying that Christ enables me. Uh, every sentence in the Bible, is, its meaning is determined by its context. So what Paul is saying in verse 13 is that he can endure any problem he may encounter in his ministry for Christ because Christ enables him to do so. Paul wrote in another epistle, he said, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And there is that word content again. Um, being content with food and clothing and basic needs runs counter to the prosperity gospel, which promises health and wealth to believers. The Lord Jesus taught us to pray, give us today 
our daily bread. He did not promise luxury. He promised the Lord knows he's our father. He knows our needs. He will care for us. And he taught us to pray for our daily bread, our necessities, not our luxuries. At Main Street Baptist, um, we had a relationship with believers in Nicaragua, in Central America. Every year, or in some cases every other year, we would send a team down to Nicaragua and they would have a building project, construct a church or begin the construction or repair a foundation or repair a roof. And in in addition to the construction project, by the way, those construction projects were determined by the Nicaraguans, not by us. We wanted to do what they wanted done, not us coming in and creating a project. At any rate, in addition to the uh, construction project, there was also a vacation Bible school for the children of uh, of the site where the team went. Every year, year after year after year, we would listen to testimonies. And I I can almost uh, recite them from memory. I've heard them so so often. Very often, a first-timer would come up and, and they would say something like this. You can't believe how simple their lives are. I I was invited over to a family of four and uh, their whole house will fit inside your living room. Family of four, inside your living room and that's their whole house. But they were so welcoming to us. They were so generous to us. They gave us their very best. They have nothing By our standards, they have nothing. But they were so generous and they were filled with the joy of the Lord. Uh, that, That testimony we heard every year again and again and again. We need to learn contentment. And we need to see it in this passage. A proper a perspective on possessions. It's very important and it's certainly what Paul is teaching here. As Paul is writing them thanks for their gift, for their generosity, for all that they've, the trouble they've sent Epaphroditus hundreds of miles, um, he's grateful. But he emphasizes that I am content with the Lord's provision. Giving generously to Christ's kingdom work is important Giving is a means of sharing in my troubles. Look at that word in verse 14. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles, Paul says. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Notice the word share. Uh, There is a partnership that is developed between the kingdom worker, the missionary, the apostle in this case, and those who are supporting him. And the word the, the word that is used there pictures a partnership. It's the word from which we get the word fellowship. It was used back in 1.5. 1.5 is the first reference to this gift they sent. He says in 1.5, because of your partnership in the gospel. Um, and he's using a verb form of that noun in 4, uh, 4.14. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul is in trouble. 
and they're sharing in his trouble. They are sending their support and certainly they are also praying for him. Um, it reminds me, or I, I am reminded, of a guy named Kirk Balius. Kirk Balius was one of our fellow missionaries in Germany. Kirk Balius was, was also teaching in a Bible college, or a Bible, he was in a seminary. He was in another school. I was teaching in a Bible college. But Kirk Balius had a problem. His account was $6,000 in deficit. One of his kids needed braces. Uh... He was going to have to go home. Going to have to interrupt the school year, go home, uh, and raise more support. And of course, that would create problems for the school. His coursework, what he's teaching, would be interrupted. But he had a deficit. He had to return home. And then we heard the news. Someone, unknown to us, had covered the deficit, had provided the need so Kirk could stay and continue his ministry. It's a perfect example of what Paul is saying here. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Uh, The the child could could get braces. Uh, It was good of you to share in my troubles, Paul writes. How good of you to reach out and to share. Uh, We must remember, it's very important that we remember that the the Macedonian, pardon me, the Philippians, they were in Macedonia, the Philippians are themselves very poor. When Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, in, in 2 Corinthians he's encouraging the Corinthian church to support the offering that's going to Jerusalem. But as he does that encouraging, he holds before them the example of the Macedonian churches. You know who the Macedonian churches are? The Macedonian churches are the Philippians and the Thessalonians. And this is what he says about the Philippians. He says, um, out of their extreme poverty, they gave and it welled up in rich generosity. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That's the Philippians. The Philippians were very poor and yet very generous. Like the Nicaraguans that our church experienced year after year. Notice that Paul says, such sacrificial giving will be remembered as a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice. In verse 18, Paul is using um, Old Testament language, you know, the Old Testament sacrifice was offered up, a, up to God. It was a fragrant offering to God. And Paul is using that allusion. These offerings that you present are honorable to God. Notice that Paul in verse 17 says, I'm not looking for the gift, I'm looking for your growth and the fact that you are laying up treasure in heaven by, by giving in this way. It says in verse 19 that God will meet every need or necessity of his people. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches, glorious riches in Christ Jesus, verse 19. Now, verse 19 is also often distorted, isolated from its context, and it is distorted. Number one, what what 
the Lord is promising here, what Paul is saying and what the Lord is promising is that it'll provide for our necessities. The, the word that's used for need could e- easily be translated necessity. My God will provide your every need, your every necessity. That's who our God is. He is our Father and he cares for his children. And perhaps, you know, we... we we are always eager to read material things. Perhaps the, the greatest need is spiritual and God will provide that also. God, God will provide your every need, not only material but also spiritual, of course. Although in this context, he is talking about material gifts and God's provision. One of the things that I should emphasize that it is always wrong to give in order to get. That is, I don't know how many times I have seen and probably you have seen a TV pastor or personality speak of giving, giving, giving and God will outgive, God will give to you. In other words, it's almost an appeal to greed. Um, it's... Um, you know, send in the seed money, you sow the seed and God will repay you and uh, so forth. Uh, no, we should always give with the motive of giving, not of getting, but of giving. We trust the Lord to provide for our needs, but we do never give with a motive of receiving. This verse is also misunderstood by prosperity preachers who, who abuse it to mean that God pr- promises luxury. I have heard this verse cited and used in this way. It says he'll provide according to his glorious riches. God is wealthy beyond all imagining and out of his glorious riches he will provide wealth for you. That kind of promise, that kind of uh, emphasis And that is not what it means. And that's not the way it's to be understood. It is a promise to provide our necessities. Our God is our Father. And he will take care of his children. Believers are not promised material wealth, but spiritual wealth. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in another epistle. And that... Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is eternal. And the weight of the gifts that God has given us is infinitely greater than any material possession in this world. As Paul continues toward the conclusion of the letter, he comes to bedrock in his life in verse 20 when he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. That's why Paul lives and breathes, is for the glory of God. Uh, Paul began the letter on this very note. You remember, one, look at 1.10. Paul is praying in 1.10 and he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's Paul's heartbeat. The glory of God. 
I pray that all of you Philippians would, would grow and be strong in the Lord to the glory and praise of God. And now, as he concludes the letter, he comes to the same place. And I remind you that in chapter 1, he said, whatever happens to me, whether I live or die, it doesn't matter. I only pray that I will have sufficient courage so that whether I live or die, Christ may be magnified in my body. That's his heartbeat. The magnification of the Lord, the glory of God. He will live for Christ. He will die for Christ, all for his glory. And then grace has the last word. After Paul has a very brief section on greetings, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's an interesting exercise to go to the end of all of Paul's letters and look for this because it's there. The grace of God. The grace of God fills his life. The grace of God fills the gospel message. The, the, the gospel message is the astonishing news that though we are sinners and condemned and guilty before a holy God, he has sent his son through his death and resurrection, guarantees and promises forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to God, acceptance by the Father. It's astonishing good news and it's all of God's grace. And that's how Paul concludes his letter. The grace, the grace, the astonishing, wonderful, amazing grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all with your spirit. Well, God's work goes forward as we live by kingdom ministry principles. And Paul is, is filled with, these, with this joy. He's talking about contentment in God's work, contentment enabled by Christ's power. He talks about giving. He talks about the glory of God, and he talks about the grace of God. Giving to support gospel workers is important. Our church supports missionaries in various locations, in various ministries. Did you notice in the, in the uh, brief report this morning uh, on Michael Bannon, Michael and his wife, uh, it says something about 70 new missionary appointees. 70 missionary appointees who need to get out there. The only way they can get out there is if churches like us, other churches, support them. Giving to support gospel workers is very important. It's a great encouragement. It's an enablement. Gospel ministry goes forward because God's people give. Secondly, from this passage, we learn to beware of those who quote isolated sentences and ignore the immediate and scriptural context. Very dangerous, very common. We've all done it. I've done it. And so have you. And we're, we're reminded of the importance of context as we, we seek to avoid misusing passages like Philippians 4.13 and for 19. American prosperity gospel teachers are wrong 
to teach us to give in order to get or to expect material luxuries from God. Finally, emphasize in your hearts whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That is the heartbeat of Paul's ministry, the heartbeat of kingdom ministry. And it is the very purpose of our lives. We exist for his glory. And we will exist for his glory not only now, but through all eternity in his mercy and grace. Well, let's bow together in prayer and conclude this study. Father in heaven, I uh, am astonished at uh, Paul's insight and wisdom, his heartbeat in, um, in, in, in Philippians. It's an amazing letter, has so much to teach us. Lord, forgive us for ways in which we misuse the scripture and help us to be careful to always read the scripture in its context, in the flow of thought, and to, to use it responsibly, we pray. How thankful we are, Lord, that you call us into gospel ministry. How thankful we are that the gospel has come to us. We are filled with thanks, so filled with praise. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to honor you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Gary. Really appreciate that. Let's all stand and sing the song, Take